Welcome to another episode of Team Anywhere, where CEOs, leaders, and experts at building teams, companies, organizations, and amazing cultures share how to lead from anywhere in the world. I'm your co-host on the East Coast, Judy Bianco Mathis. And I'm your co-host on the West Coast, Mitch Simon. And we invite you to join us to Team Anywhere. Today on the podcast, we have John Chen, founder of Geoteaming and author of the new book, Engaging Virtual Meetings, my Bible for, well, engaging virtual meetings. John has truly figured out how to create meetings that build connection and excitement on your team. There is so much great information that we broke the podcast into two segments. I know you will enjoy John's enthusiasm and his expertise on this first segment of John Chen on Team anywhere. Hello and welcome to another episode 2021. Yeah, baby. 2021. The 2021 episode, the first of many uh, for 2021 of the Team Anywhere podcast. I'm your co-host Mitch Simon on the West Coast. Uh, Unfortunately, we do not have Ginny today on the East Coast, but in the house, in the Team Anywhere house is John Chen. Now, I'm sure you all know about John Chen. John spent 10 years at Microsoft before founding Geoteaming, a tech-based team building and leadership company. He's a celebrated speaker and consultant and has delivered his message to over 230,000 participants in over 30 countries. Why are we talking to him? Because he recently authored the book, Engaging Virtual Meetings. And that is my go-to resource whenever I plan an upcoming virtual meeting. Why else? As I was thinking today, John Chen and I have been friends for 23 years, 23 years. So I guess we met when we were one years old. Is that right, John? (laughs) It's the 23rd anniversary of our 23rd birthday, Mitch. That's it. That's it. Right. We are born separated birth twins. That's us. (laughs) So John, Hey, you know, uh, look, um, you know, what people don't know is that my life was profoundly transformed because I met you in 1998 on Kona. No, I Buddha point on the island of Kona yeah. where you were this crazy dude from Microsoft and you had this dream that you're going to start a company to take people on life-changing adventures. And of course, my response at that time was, well, you know, John, I'm a corporate executive at Nokia the greatest company on the world that will always be there forever. And thank you for sharing your little baby concerns with me. Uh, But I've got really important stuff to do, like watch the stock price go up. And then of course, what happened was two years later, you convinced me after I, my wife had just had her third baby to go climb the most treacherous mountain in the lower 48 States, which is Mount Rainier, which is in the state of Washington, which I did not even know. And yeah, you and I and many Tony Robbins coaches and, and very few civilians uh, got to the top of Mount Rainier, which not many people do. We came back alive, not in a body bag. And two years later, I committed my life to leaving the corporate world and becoming an unexecutive coach. It's all because of you, John. Mitch, you know, I know you're doing this amazing coach work and it's, uh, you know, it makes me smile every time. And it it makes me smile that you and I are still connected, right? Still doing great things together. But uh, for those who didn't know the story, like if you haven't been to this place, 
Um, the Waikoloa uh, is this amazing property. It used to be owned by the Japanese, now owned by the Marriott. And they have these incredible sculptures called Buddha Point. There's this amazing, huge, beyond life-size version yeah. of buddha buddha and everyone gathers there and it, you know you know this is how good when nature is great is when people applaud at sunset right like thank yes. you nature. that was an awesome yes, show that's right? right that's what people do at this point and so i'm sitting there and there's a guy to the left of me and me i'm just like that extroverted social person like hey what's going on and right mitch is giving off the vibe like uh you know i'm a friendly person and we end up meeting and we have all the same books and he finds out that i'm there during a robbins anthony robbins program and we have stayed friends ever since and one thing that impresses me the most about mitch if you don't know about mitch is like there are a lot of people who talk about wanting to do their dream but there are those people then who take their their want for that dream, that passion for the dream, and put the energy into it. And and Mitch really showed his energy when he he climbed his mountain that's closest to him. Uh, was it uh, San Jacinto? It's actually San Gorgonio. Well, it was San Jacinto, San Jacinto which, is, yeah. which is challenging. And then it was San Gorgonio, which is just the craziest, dumbest, highest, most uncomfortable mountain to climb in Southern California. And he does the dumbest, highest climbers, right? Not only by himself, but with a backpack and three kids. Oh, yeah. That was San Jacinto. So San Jacinto, I climbed with a, a kid on my back. I think a kid on my front and a kid in a in a running jogger that we right. um, that we carried up Suicide Point. Suicide, yeah, Suicide Rock in, in Idlewild. Yeah, that's right. And that's when you call me Sherpa Dad. And that's what to to take that as a metaphor is like you were willing to do the hard work because all that work paid off, right? Not everybody summits in my program. I tell people that it's about your summit wherever you go. And sometimes, you know, a thousand feet out of the the start point is okay, but it, it's not okay for Mitch Simon. No you know, way. He wants to, like me, he's like, I just we want to testing ourselves. We want to figure out how high can we go before nature or safety or something else prevents us from doing so. And that hard work paid off. Mitch stood on the summit, and one thing I love about the summit, I hope. Hopefully you tell your coaching clients this though, is that nobody can take that away from you. Nobody. No. Yeah. Nobody. You earned and, it. And it. You yeah. earned it. And John, you know, the, uh, the expiration since then, which is 20, 21 years from the summit <laughs> is the more that you were. And I know that, uh, I know that this, um, this podcast is about, is about remote teaming and remote meetings and remote teams, which it is, it is. And we'll get to that. Um, I just want to say, though, as you bring this up, John, is is that the 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 thinking that you had us or, or you had us you had us really remove thinking that was not useful, take on thinking that was useful, and then to to um, you know to to leave work in twenty in two thousand and two, and then to continue the work that you kicked off, John. To be able to be confident, to be able to, you know, just like Mount Rainier, which was, okay, so if something happens on Rainier, no one can help you. Nobody. So so go create a life for yourself where you are really at the mercy of no one, not your boss, not your, um, your you know, your, your friends, your spouse, whatever, that, you know, yes, you want to, you know, to create a valuable life, you want to be surrounded by the people that you love. Yeah, uh, and and to build a skill set where you know that you can survive no matter what. I mean that that that's what what is the most valuable thing that they can't take away from me right now. It's like a radical self sufficiency, right? 
I like that. Yeah, radical self-sufficiency. That's what we got. I mean, that's what we got on the summit, and that's what I've continued to do. And and that's why, you know, I've stayed in touch with you. Um, I've come out to Seattle. You've come out to to my house um, when we could actually do those those things. Um, but no, no, definitely, definitely. Um, I really, you know, have been impacted, and John has impacted many, many people. So, anyways, let's get to business. Um, all right. So again, just a little bit. So, which is, which is funny. And what were you doing at the beginning of 2020? And, um, what did you think 2020 was in the beginning of 2020 and where the heck did you land up, John? Oh, oh my goodness. Well, well, before I do that, cause this relates, I want to do two things that I think are really important. What Mitch and I just did too, right. Just talks about how important relationships are. Physical, like when pre-pandemic or even probably even more during pandemic is how important are your relationships to what you're doing now? I think that's really, really key. And that that uh, this relationship between me and Mitch has really made a difference in both of our lives uh, together. Um, the second one that I really have is something we call is connection before content. Right. And Mitch and I just spent some time right reconnecting. You know, we see each other often, but not that often. And so um, you'll find actually one of the best things for this in engaging virtual meetings, which we're going to talk about, is connection before content, right? So take some time before your virtual meeting like to log in early, connect with each other uh, before you get on with it. And you'll find that you'll find your results are better. So getting on with that, what was I doing at the beginning of 2020? Well, Mitch, I was in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was doing okay. a team building event for 250 people flying a drone in Alpharetta, Georgia. What else was I doing? I was in, um, I was with one of our good friends, Sardique Love. We were, we presented in Orlando at a conference with like 1200. Remember when there were conferences, Mitch, there was 1200 people. I don't even remember what that is. I oh, you could touch each other. Uh, we, we actually went to Disney world and we actually rode uh, the rise of the resistance, the brand new Disneyland ride that like basically takes a backflip to get on. Uh, with that. So that was my beginning of 2020. And I loved it, you know, when people say 2020 was going to be my best year ever. Right. And so, so, you know, for, for those of you who don't know, John, you know, John uh, founded geoteaming. What John does is gets many, 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 many humans together <laughs> to, to build their, you know, build their leadership and build their team. Uh, and the, the key word there is the beginning of 2020 um, his business absolutely 100% relied on people getting together physically. And yeah. so when March started, one would say then, John, guess what? It's over. But it wasn't over, John, was it? Uh, it, it was over and it wasn't over. So yeah, uh, just a little backwards history. In, in 2000. Uh, 11, I wrote a book called 50 Digital Team Building Games. And they, it was, you know, I've been trying to get people online. I actually calculated, Mitch, I've been online for 35 years mm -hmm. watching how people meet. Remember Prodigy? I do. I do. <laughs> I think I remember getting a little disc in the mail or something yeah. or several. I was on Prodigy and my, my brother and I actually got a much deeper relationship during Prodigy because we were like the only two family members who were on this thing. And so he was always watching for that. How does technology change our relationships and how we connect with each other, how we do things? And so anyways, uh, I've been trying to get people online, but everyone was like, well, that's a great idea. But here's some more money for your face to face thing. And I'll see you in Orlando. Until March. Nice. Until March 2020. Dun, 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 in a world. 
the year that was, the year that was so bad that they had to name it twice. <laughs> yeah, so I have 15 programs canceled, um, and um, it, it was bad. And then my best year ever disappeared. And, and my intuition said, do the thing that you know. So nine years ago, you know, I wrote this thing and always trying to get people online. So I launched a class called Virtual Team Building. Uh, and you never know, Mitch. I, I just love how in success sometimes it's, you never know what it is that's going to help you. But in this case, a writer for a, a website called Library Journal. It's the largest website for um, librarians. So librarians were all getting hit up saying, what resources do you have for work at home, work from home? And they're oh, like, my wow. book got picked up, right? Wow. And they said, yeah. So they said, here's a book. Oh, by the way, she contacted me. She goes, John is actually giving away a free class for an hour. And that class blew up. Mm-hmm. Right. It went mm-hmm. viral. I've taught over 4,000 people in that class last year. Uh, and then my publisher caught wind of it. And they're like, hey, John, would you like to write your second book? And I'm like, wow. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> so I wrote and, my and second publisher, book. Now, look, yeah. dude, everybody, his publisher is Wiley. So John is the real deal. I mean, that is that is hard to get uh, a, a Wiley as a publisher. And also... Uh, just let us, when did you start and how long did it take you to go from starting this book and getting it out there? Cause I, I remember it being like really fast. Oh yeah. So for all of you who want to be authors out there, right. Who say they don't have enough of time. All right. I'm just going to call bullshit on you right now. <laughs> bullshit because, okay. My first book, I scheduled to write it in six months and I was proud when I finished it in five Right. I negotiated six yeah. months wow. and I gave it to them a month early. And I'll tell you actually behind the scenes, Mitch, I don't tell this story very often, but I wrote a chart. Right. And I said, here are the writing days that I have until the deadline. And after the first month, I was way off. And that was only that chart that told me, you know, you can fool yourself going, I'm making progress. Right. But that chart told me that that you are way off. You are never going to make it. And so I radically changed my schedule. I became the world's biggest introverted extrovert you've ever met. You stopped going out on the weekends. Yeah. And and then I made my deadline. And so in this book, right, it took I, I scheduled six months. This book, two months. Wow. One third the time. Yeah, and it's a big. I mean, it is a big humping book. I mean, it's great value, um, but it's it's a big book. I mean, there's over many three hundred pages, three hundred pages yeah, in this account. book. Yeah, we got pictures. We got um, just just about everything in this book. It's awesome. So, what I can tell you about that process too, and it wasn't that I stopped working during that time. I mean, pandemic did make it a little bit easier. That little less work, but I still ran a major conference. And actually, behind the scenes stories is that it was originally called Virtual Team Building. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because that's what my class was called. But after I actually ran a conference for uh, Microsoft for 200 people, uh, and I was telling stories about this to my publisher, he just stopped. And he goes, I think we got to change the name of this book. And so we talked around it and it eventually became eventual me- virtual meetings for the simple fact like eh, maybe 10 or 20 percent of the people listening to this are interested in high performing virtual teams. But 100 percent of you are interested in engaging virtual meetings now. Great. So why don't we go there? Why don't you tell us what makes the difference between a a virtual meeting, which we've all been to, and an engaging virtual meeting? Because, um, and and, and what might be the difference, John, between, we used to go to bad meetings, and there used to be engaging good meetings. So again, what's the difference between a, a, a virtual meeting and an engaging virtual meeting? What, what gets people to be engaged? I mean, I love the way you demonstrated that we actually spent, I think it was eight minutes before we got to the question. 
and and we could have actually gone maybe 28 minutes um but um we did spend eight minutes you know really reconnecting and it's not like you and i haven't spoken to each other in a while we actually uh, do keep in, in touch very well fairly well yeah. um what makes it what makes a virtual meeting engaging that's a great question um Let's just start with the the opposite side of this. I really got a chance to meet. Actually, I think she's from San Diego. Uh, she's the CEO for her own company, and she wrote this article about Zoom fatigue. And uh-huh. like, I think everybody, if you got, if you've ever had Zoom fatigue in the last, you know, twelve months or whenever since you did this, just raise your hand. I know you're out there. I can see you. Like, because most of the time in my class, it's like ninety eight to one hundred percent of the people. And the people that don't put their hand down, I'm like, did you take the vaccine for Zoom fatigue? Because I want to know where to get that. Right. <laughs> Um, And there's bad meetings. You know, the bad meetings came from people who did webinars. They put up slides and they talked for 60 minutes, right? The one that I got from one of my friends, they took a a two-day conference and they ported it exactly from its in-person format to the digital format with no changes. And she said she watched it for seven hours and then literally passed out in bed. And and they're painful. Uh, So I think the key here is, is that a not engaging virtual meeting is is something where it doesn't involve you. Like you, if you're going to do that, you might as well actually spend the energy and make a really great video and then send it to me because there's no difference because you're not asking for my input. My input's not changing. So I think I actually think one of the really important things, Mitch, that an engaging virtual meeting has is that the meeting is different because you are there. What you do you mean by that? that? You, say, what do you mean by that? You are there. The meeting is different because you are there. And what I mean by that is, let's say Mitch is in the audience and I do something like Mitch, you know, gives me the, you know, mind blown, you know, icon. And I, he's doing a hand motion that's going, oh my gosh, dude, you just blew my mind. I can come back and as a speaker can react to that. I'm like, oh, thank you, Mitch. I'm so glad you told me that I blew your mind, you know, and you can feed off of that energy from the audience because that's what a lot of speakers are missing. They're saying, I don't know how to connect the audience. I don't know how to get that audience reaction, you know, that I'm used to. And and I'm saying there's technical ways to do that. And I think that the most important thing, though, as an audience member is somehow or another, that meeting is different because you're a present, whether it's just your video on or that you chatted or more importantly, you asked a question that the, the host or the speaker responded to um, so that people are getting the real information. And I think that's the real difference. Um, if you just want to do pre-recorded stuff, then do pre-recorded stuff, but don't don't make it a meeting. Send people a video. But if you want a virtual meeting that's engaging then engage, meaning that ask people, say hello to them, connect with them, and find out how to make them some part of the meeting. And and again, you've seen examples where sometimes I'll go far off the end, which is I'll put a guest in charge of my meeting for six or 10 minutes. And it's it's almost impossible for them to check out because they're currently in charge. (laughs) Right. No, that's that's great. What I want to know is because, you know, I did get this from you. I was was like everybody else uh, out there running my meetings, my team meetings. And running them exactly like I ran my previous meetings, and they sucked. And then what I learned from you was, as you say, involve the the audience, involve the team members. And then, so what are your think? What is your thinking when you're creating a meeting? You know, and and um, I'm really thinking because most of the people I think on the call are are most people on the on on the podcast are are team leaders or, or team members. Um, not so much someone who's speaking to, a, you know, thousands of people like, like you do. Yeah. Um, what's, how, what's that thinking ahead of time as to how I might create a meeting that would actually involve people? So that's the greatest part too, that Mitch, there's actually some intentionality in the book. That's a big word. Okay. <laughs> and what I that's meant by that is that, 
<laughs> What's that? It's a lot of syllables. Yeah. A lot of syllables. Yeah. A lot of syllables. Um, so the intention behind the book is that it was written for meetings of size, you know, eight to 25. And we actually did the research that almost 90 to 98% of the meetings in the world fit that category, that conferences are really the outliers of meetings. Right, right. Um, because these day-to-day meetings is where it's really happening. Uh, and so you, uh, when I design those meetings, uh, here are a couple core things that I have. Uh, I think one is is I really ask people about the value of the meeting before the meeting and the meeting after the meeting. Do you know what I mean? Um. No, tell us more about the value before the meeting and the value after the meeting. No, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So the the first part about when I'm designing a meeting is I'll ask people, I was like, I know it takes more of your time, but if you're going to get online and make it virtual, then make it great, right? Make it amazing. And so um, at Microsoft, I learned this principle called the meeting before the meeting and the meeting after the meeting. And it said that I was a program manager at Microsoft and I was trying to get stuff done, but people were like infinitely busy at Microsoft. And some of them, it was impossible to schedule. So I, I invented a strategy where um, I showed up to meetings up to 30 minutes early. And then I would just hang by the door. I would do work on my phone or a portable laptop. But when people started showing up, they were there and captive in some ways because they're waiting for the doors to open. And so I could ask them the question that I needed or get the information that I need from them before the meeting without scheduling anything. Right. And then what you're saying, you're saying so like in typical Microsoft fast, the door was closed. Yeah. The door of the other meeting was closed, but you just sat there waiting outside the meeting. Nice. And waited because these are high value people. Their schedules are busy. I respect that. And I still have to get information to get my job done. So they found the easiest way is if they finished their meeting early and they showed up, I could get them on a one-on-one basis and get something done. And then it, it, it happens naturally too, Mitch. This is not something I'm fighting or inventing. It was just something I noticed and took advantage of, which is better at, at Microsoft is that people stick around. So like if people get past, they're all very passionate people for the most part. And then they would stay at the meeting because they got involved in the conversation. So the meeting would end and all these sidebar conversations would happen, right? To get the other stuff done that was sparked on by the meeting. So I started scheduling 30 minutes after the meeting and I would then meet all those other people and try and get all this other stuff done or, or scheduled or saying, that was a great point. Let's follow up right now and find some time to do that. So I do this in my virtual meetings, which is I can open the doors up to 30 minutes early. And, I, uh, and sometimes I'll just tell people that, too. And then I'll, I'll say, uh, I'll close the door. Or I'll say there's some uh, networking afterwards. For 30 minutes after the meeting, I'll just keep the Zoom running. You can just talk whatever about what you want. And I, I think that's one of the, the pieces that, that's engaging. So that's around the sides. And then inside the meeting, I think really the key part is think about how can I engage every person in the meeting at least once? That's one of my core principles. Uh, and so that can be as simple as people checking in with something short. Like we've had people, a, 20, a group of 20 check in in under three minutes. So those who say, I don't have enough time, I just say, you're not doing it right. right? There, there are multiple other ways that you can do that and do it successfully. Um, and then the other things around that is like, you know, it tell could us, be. Tell us, tell us yeah. one way that, um, um, what is one way to have, let's say you had eight to 25 people and. You know, look, I'm a I'm a very very busy executive here, John. So how do I how do I get those people to check in individually quickly? One of the ways we do it is what I call an uh, air traffic control race. And so one is we create a system called air traffic control, which is here on you know Zoomland or or Coronaville or whatever you want to call it. And no matter which virtual platform you're on, uh, none of them have figured it out enough where Mitch and I can talk at the same time and have you and the audience understand what we're saying. All right. So. 
so we create air traffic control, which is like you either just raise your you know physical hand or if you have the virtual hand, if your camera's off for whatever reason, you raise your virtual hand and then you as the host just go and call through. And, and if two or three people go at the same time, you acknowledge them all and you establish an order. So now in turning this into a race, all I do is I take my phone and I turn on the stopwatch and I say, let's see how fast that we can check in with everybody. So just tell me your name, right, your role or your location. And then like one thing you're expecting from this meeting or one thing that you achieved from last week's meeting. And so people will get it. Like the first time you do it, it's a little bit harder. But if you have a recurring meeting, people will find it as culture of the meeting. They'll go faster and faster. And, and so again, I've had teams clock in as in under two minutes sometimes. We're very high. And it, what also helps them too, it says we can be a high performing team is kind of the subliminal message that goes along with it. And you can actually see your time decrease. If you are those analytic person, you can say the first time you do this with 20 people, sometimes it takes 20 minutes. And you need to know that you kind of need to go slow to go fast, right? But if you see that um, and you do it over and over, you can say we did it in two minutes. And as a team, you can say, look, we can remove 90% of our you know, time and we can use that time for something more valuable, something better. So that's a very simple, easy way to do that. Wow, I like that. It's great. So other elements inside to keep a meeting virtu- uh, engaging too is, again, you know, uh, chat is my number two tool. Uh, number three is one of your favorites is the breakout rooms because it yes, totally love changes, those. Yeah, changes the dynamics of talking. Uh, my favorite story in this recent one, we're talking, I'm working on a new class, Mitch, called Turn On Your Damn Camera. Turn On Your Damn Camera. I like that one. Okay. And it's a whole class about psychological safety. But one of our very good friends, uh, Gil, um, invented this thing. He had six executives who would refuse to turn on their cameras despite multiple different techniques. And so eventually what he did was he purposely put those six people in a breakout room for 10 minutes and didn't say anything. 10 minutes, they emerged. All of them had their cameras on and left their cameras on. (laughs) That's nice. That's genius. It's genius. Yeah. You people just, yeah, you people get it, get it, get get it with the program. Great. So turn on, turn on the damn cameras now. Nice. Great. No, I do. I do love, um, well, why don't you tell us a little bit? Because because I've you know um, now I'm interested. What um, what can you do to create or build virtual psychological safety? What, yeah. what, what can you do? Because I think that that's really that's really the key right now. I know that um, I'm putting a couple courses together, and that's really the big one, which is. Gosh, you know, um, especially in the area of conflict, we've actually had someone talk about this on the podcast is, you know, if you, if you and I, John, have problems having conflict, then we're definitely going to have problems in a virtual world. Oh, know? yeah. Just magnifier. Um, so we'll go back to psychological safety. For those who don't know, again, it's a big, big fancy word, um, is that Google did this incredible amount of team research. That's when I first discovered it. And it's probably the best research in terms of teams in the last two or three years. And you can find it in it just Google, uh, Google Aristotle. And that was the project name. They studied teams for 18 months. And it's like, you know, what's the best indicator of a high-performing team? And was it, you know, the computers they gave them, the setting, you know, the, the composition of the team, the leader? Nope, it's none of those. Right. The, the number one factor, there's five factors, but the number one factor was psychological safety defined as that you feel safe taking a risk in front of your teammates. Right. And That's a great way to, to summarize it right there. Yeah. That, there you go. There's my, there's my pocket version. <laughs> one yeah. So, um, so how does this apply to virtual meetings is that I, I really discovered this and in the behind the scenes too, uh, Mitch, it was an appendix in my book. 
It was actually towards the end. And the more and more that we looked at it and saw what happened over pandemic, we moved it to chapter number three. It's wow. right, right behind the basics. And so it's on psychological safety. And it says, this is the invisible thing that I'm building in this box, in this video box that um, and you might not see in a podcast, but on, when you see me on video, that I've been building ever since you met me. And it's creating psychological safety. And it's so you feel self taking a risk in interacting with me, which is contributing, chatting, saying hello, asking a question. And, uh, and I just think it's so important. So simple ways to do it is number one is just be inviting. So like if you combine this thing about logging in early, as soon as you log in, as soon as your audio hits, I will come in and say something like, hi, Mitch. Right. And all of a sudden he, you know, you acknowledge going, oh, great. I didn't just slip into this meeting and my presence doesn't matter. It's like, oh, they already recognize me, right? We have other people in large meetings who are chatting to other people, right? So they assign some part of the alphabet or some other indicator, and their job is to make sure that they're greeting people on the, the inside and then answering any questions. Um, and, and then one of the most interesting techniques I've had is like when I ask questions in terms of psychological safety, I almost never call on anyone. And what I the, what I do is that's almost the only time I allow for this quote unquote awkward silence on Zoom, because I want people to think about the question and I want people to give the time and space to actually answer it. And I I do truly in my heart believe that if people figure out that they answer they are allowed to answer when they want to answer, and that they are safe with no no matter what answer they give, they will contribute more. And so those are some of the things that I practice and tips that I give. Yeah, it's great. I love the the name of the chapter. I'm just opening it up and just you know confirming that chapter three is about psychological safety, um, and and it is, and it's uh, yeah, and you do actually have the uh, you open up with the um, the Google research. I love the way you do it because you just do it as a picture as opposed to having to read the whole article. Although the article is incredible, but you call you know psychological safety how to get the quiet attendees and everyone else to engage, and that yeah. I think is the magic magic bullet. Um, of being able to to build trust is getting everyone to feel comfortable to engage. 